You're listening to the EHA Hematology Podcast, Episode 2 Graft versus Host Disease. Welcome back to this second episode of EHA's Hematology Podcast. This is the podcast where you can listen to passionate experts in hematology talking freely about highlights in their fields of expertise. Today's episode speaker is transplantation expert, Professor Sean McCann. Well, Sean, the mic is yours. Hello, uh, my name is Sean McCann. I'm a retired hematologist and I carried out the first, um, as it was then, bone marrow transplant in Ireland in 1984. And I was director of the National Transplant Centre for 25 years after that. Uh, So I have a little experience in transplant. Um, I'm going to talk to you today uh, for about 15 minutes about a syndrome called graft-versus-host disease, which is probably the most feared complication of hemopoietic cell transplant, or HCT as I'll call it, both to the doctor and to the recipient. And I am going to start off with a little story. And the story is about the word serendipity, uh, which I'm sure you've all heard of. Well, this word serendipity was first coined by a man called Horace Walpole in 1754, a long time ago, when he wrote a, a fairy tale about the princesses, or sorry, the princes of serendip. And they kept making discoveries where they weren't looking for anything. So we use the word serendipity when we're looking very hard to find something and something untoward happens, and that happens to be very important. Whereas chance, at least to me, means you're walking down the street and you stand on a 100-euro note and you put it in your pocket and run away. That, to me, is chance. So the two things are quite different, although often... Uh, um, use interdependently. In medicine, I hope you all have heard in our medical schools of probably the most famous serendipitous discovery, and that was by Alexander Fleming and the discovery of penicillin, which of course changed the world forever. So what's that all that got to do with graft-versus-host disease? Well, there was a laboratory scientist called Delta Uphoff, working with a man called, or a scientist called Egan Lawrence in 1952 on an animal model using mice primarily of HCT. And what they would usually do would be to keep the mice in a cage following transplant for 14 days. Now that wasn't really it for any profound scientific reason. It was for financial reasons because keeping animals, as anybody who's worked in an animal laboratory will know, is a quite an expensive business. So the animals were usually sacrificed at day 14. However, serendipitously, a cage of animals was misplaced and wasn't found for a further two weeks. So that meant the animals had been transplanted four weeks ago. And to Delta's amazement, the mice had diarrhea, terrible thought, inflamed foot pads, and their fur on their, or the animal, the mouse's fur, as one of my friends said, was called ratty, 
no no pun intended, but, but rather strange looking. So the animals looked extremely sick and nobody really knew what was going on. And um, the, the, this phenomenon or disease or whatever it was, was called a runt disease or a secondary disease. Secondary to what, I'm not quite sure, but I presume secondary to the HCT. About 10 years later, uh, Barnes and Loughton in the UK, and a few years later again, a man called Morton Simonson gave the name to this phenomenon, graft versus host disease, as they unraveled that it was due to an attack by the cells in the donated marrow, as it was then, on the recipient. And that terminology is still used today. Now, in, the, in humans, uh, graft versus host disease, following the classic, what we call a myeloablative conditioning, is often or was often divided up into acute and chronic graft versus host disease. Acute occurring in the first 100 days following transplant, and chronic being graft versus host disease, which occurred later than that. We do know with certainty that the greater the degree of HLA disparity between the donor and the host increases the risk significantly of severe and lethal graft versus host disease. However, it also has to be remembered that even using a family fully matched sibling donor, graft versus host disease can occur in about 20% of individuals. Now, how does it manifest itself in humans? Well, the syndrome manifests itself by um, involvement of the skin, the gastrointestinal tract, and the liver, resulting in a skin rash, diarrhea, and jaundice in that order usually, but not always. In terms of making a diagnosis, it's very important to do a skin biopsy, as there are many causes of a skin rash following HCT, most notably, probably, antibiotic-induced skin rashes. So the diagnosis of acute graft versus host disease is difficult because attempts were made to stage the disease, that is, the number of organs involved, and also to grade the disease versus uh, the pathological changes in the biopsy. Unfortunately, clinically, these don't always coincide. For example, you can have a person with a skin rash who's actually clinically quite well, and the pathologist will grade the skin rash or stage grade the skin rash as being severe. So it makes it very difficult for a clinician. However, if we look at acute graft versus host disease in grades 0 to 4, by the number of organs involved, that is the skin, the gastrointestinal tract, or the liver, um, we find that the, the higher the grade, in other words, the more organs involved, the outcome tends to be poorer. Um, now, the treatment for graft versus host disease, I'd have to say, is by and large unsatisfactory and hasn't improved very much in the last 20 or 30 years. The mainstay of therapy is high doses of methylprednisolone given intravenously, one to two milligrams per kilogram. And really, 
since that's been around for many, many, many years now, we really haven't improved on that. And what I can say is that the response of the patient to high-dose steroids determines the outcome. Not a very profound statement, you might, might say, but if you don't respond to steroids, you go on to second-line therapy with other immunosuppressant agents. There is no real agreed strategy as to what is the best treatment in patients who fail methylprednisolone. Uh, my memory of graft-versus-host disease revolves around a patient of mine on Christmas Day, December 25th, a young woman with acute myeloid leukemia in first remission who had a fully matched sibling, HCT. She developed acute graft-versus-host disease and wanted to discharge herself from hospital to be with her children on Christmas Day. Not unreasonable. So I spent four or five hours trying to convince her to stay in hospital, as I knew if she went home, she'd probably die. Happily, I was successful. And now, many, many years later, she's alive and well and free of disease. So it sometimes does involve quite a lot of interaction between the physician, the nurses, and the recipient. Now, um, have things changed recently? Well, perhaps our understanding is a little bit better, if not our therapy. Uh, the two people who I look to are Professor James Ferrara in New York and Professor Joe Anton, um, because they said many years ago that there were three steps in the evolution of graft versus host disease. One was the conditioning therapy. As I said, mono-ablative conditioning tends to produce more severe graft versus host disease. Activation of donor T cells, which we now call T reg cells and the production of a so-called cytokine storm followed by tissue destruction. The problem is that the T cells which are involved in graft versus host disease are also involved in the so-called anti-tumor effect or anti-leukemia effect of HCT. Now to get around this of course a simple answer would be why don't you remove all the T cells from the graft. So we did this, and we weren't the first to do it, but other people did it. And hey presto, patients were very well and didn't get graft versus host disease. However, with one, within one year, their leukemia came back. So the price we paid was huge. So obviously removing the T cells is not the correct answer. The correct answer has to be to find out which particular subtype of T cells is involved and try to abrogate them or remove them in some way. Now, the other problem, and I spoke to Professor Ferrara, is that, to quote him, you can't always translate the data from laboratory animals into humans. Um, now, a very famous man called Dirk van Beckham, whom I'm sure you've heard of, many, many years ago, was able to demonstrate that you could transplant, again, uh, um, laboratory mice across the HNA barrier, and they would not get graft-versus-host disease if they, were, if they were looked after in a totally sterile environment. So there's obviously a connection as yet unclear between infection and the advent of graft-versus-host disease. 
we and many others tried giving larger doses of unabsorbable antibiotics in an effort to sterilize the gastrointestinal tract of our recipients. It was horrible. The patients hated it. They got diarrhea. It never worked. They refused to take it. It's been abandoned, I think, everywhere. And we, as James Ferrara said, we never intend to go back there again. Now, uh, Ferrara and his colleague Joe Anton have done a lot of work on the gastrointestinal tract and the um, so-called microbiome or the organisms that uh, inhabit the gastrointestinal tract. And he thinks that rather than having the old-fashioned classification, uh, grading and staging system, we would be better off to have a, a, a diagnosis depending upon biomarkers which may be found in the blood. In conclusion, graft-versus-host disease is still a major problem for recipients of HCT and for doctors and healthcare professionals looking after them. We still have not unraveled the specific subsets of T cells in the donor, which are important for graft-versus-host disease induction and for the graft-versus-leukemia effect. Hopefully, people like Professor Ferrara and Anton will come up with a new grading system based upon biomarkers, which might be more helpful than the classical grading and staging phenomenon. So there's a lot of work to be done, and good scientists hopefully will resolve this issue in my lifetime. That was Professor Sean McCann for Episode 2 of EHA's Haematology Podcast. For other topics, we highly recommend the rest of this podcast series. For now, thank you for listening. And hey, if you're passionate about haematology yourself, why not contact us and star in your own podcast episode? You can reach us at education at ehaweb.org. Goodbye.